Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Welcome, everybody. I'm glad to see you today. All right? It is good to be here, man. I'm glad that you are here. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Um, let me start with a story. 2018, state of Washington, a man named Alan Naaman died. Really, his death went uh, fairly unannounced uh, because he, he was not married, had no children. But quickly afterwards, people started hearing his name. The reason was is because there were several around his home in Washington State, there were several charities that started receiving checks that were larger than their annual budget from his estate. Alan Naaman was a social worker. Uh, The last year of his work, he made $67,000, but these charities were receiving gifts of hundreds of thousands of dollars. For instance, Alan Naaman, uh, his brother had uh, some physical needs, and so uh, uh, he gave to a charity that did equine um, therapy with, with people with special needs and helped them. Uh, he, because he was a social worker, the very first week of his job, his boss came to him and said, I need you to take a child overnight. The child had been born. Uh, the mother had been using drugs, so the child had been born drug dependent. Very, very hard situation. And so Alan Naaman, uh, at the end of his life, left a check for a, a group, a nonprofit, that helped children who were born uh, to mothers who had used drugs during their pregnancy. He left them $2.5 million. Another uh, gift that Alan Naaman left, he left $900,000 to a clothing ministry in his town because as he started taking in foster kids over the years, he, he started seeing that none of them had ever just had fun, just go out and have a shopping spree. And he really couldn't afford that. So he would take them to this thrift store and they could have a shopping spree and buy clothes and things for them. And he always appreciated that, that he was able to take these foster children there. So he left them uh, almost a million dollars. And all, Alan Naaman left 11, over $11 million to charities at the end of his life. Why was he able to do that? The power of habit. The power of habit. Your habits today don't make a significant impact in your today. Alan Naaman lived cheaply. He didn't buy nice clothes. He didn't eat fancy meals. He didn't uh, drive nice cars. But he lived on less than he made, and every paycheck he would put some money back. And over time, he would put money back. He would earn more money and put money back. He earned more money and put money back. Over the time of, of saving and over the time of compound interest, uh, he was able to give away $11 million. The power of habit is one that you won't see. If you do what I ask you to do today, you won't see a significant impact today. And we've all experienced this. We've all eaten one salad and gone to work out one time and stepped on the scale like nothing, nothing happens. I mean, mean, in fact, you're like, I gained a pound. Nothing happens. But we've all experienced the power of, of habit where you do it over a long period of time 
It makes an exponential difference in your life. It makes a huge difference in your life. So today I'm going to talk to you about two habits that the believer in Jesus Christ needs to have in their life. And if you do them today, you might experience a little difference, but this is a decade sermon. If you will do them for 10 years, you will experience an unbelievable impact in your life. I'm talking earth-shaking, eternity-moving impact in your life if you will use what God's Word says that we as believers are to do today, the power of habit is one that when we do it and we do it and we do it and we do it, we wake up one way and we're so far removed from where we were. We're so far grown from where we started out. It's doing it consistently over our lives. So the power of habit, we're well, going to look at two habits and then the reason for these two habits in 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, verse 5. You yourselves as living stones, uh, as spiritual... Uh, oh, Man, I'm having trouble today. All right. So you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and an honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to him uh, who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let's look today at two habits. First, in verse 5, he says, you're being built into a royal priesthood, and how are you doing that? You're being built so that you can offer spiritual sacrifices. So the first habit is the habit of spiritual sacrifices. In other words, we give something up or we give back. That's what a sacrifice is in doing this. And there's a reason for that is because we are priests. You and I are priests. We don't have, uh, we don't call me priest. Uh, you, you don't, we don't have priests on our staff. If you, if you have children and you want them to learn a, a, how to respect, you know, you can have them call me Pastor Cody. Uh, if you're an adult, don't call me Pastor Cody. Just call me Cody. Uh, that's all. I just want, all right. I just want to be pa Cody. All right. So uh, years ago, I was at a, a football game in a group of cheerleaders were coming. One of the cheerleaders went to our church and she saw me and her eyes got big and then she looked around at her friends and she went, don't cuss, there's my priest. Uh, so, you know, you're, so we should all say that when you see someone from River Valley because we are all priests. We are the priests. We don't, we don't need a priest anymore. You need a pastor to help add value, to help coach you, to help train you. But priests do two specific things that now are your responsibility. The first one, the first uh, role of a priest is to be the intermediary between God and people. So there's, between God and people, there, there's a priest. So you go and tell the priest what you did. The priest tells God, hey, he did so-and-so. And God's like, well, that's not good. And the priest's like, no, no, it's not. And then the God tells the priest what to say, and the priest tells you. You don't need that anymore. In fact, the Bible says there's only one intermediary between God the Father and man, and that is Jesus Christ. So we go to Jesus Christ and confess our sins and talk to him and tell him, and we have direct access to God through 
through Jesus Christ. So you are a priest. You have access to God, and you can do that for the lost of the world. You can bring their request to God. You can intercede or pray for them on their behalf. The second act or the second role of a priest is what we're talking about here. They offer sacrifices for the people. They offer sacrifices for people. So you and I are now called to offer spiritual sacrifices, to give, to, to be. So we offer spiritual sacrifices. So now this is our job. This is one of the things that we do as priests. You are a priest. So you offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, let me break down this very, very clearly because I want to be uh, specific. If you're a, not a believer here today, then this is, these are habits for believers. These are what we do as believers. The last thing I want you to do from this sermon is to hear, oh, good. Now I'm going to know all the things that I have to do in order to get saved. That's not what we're talking about today. This is now that you are saved, these are the habits that we form to bring us in better relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of those, spiritual sacrifices. We offer spiritual sacrifice. So I want to I make an argument about how to to do this correctly. Let me start with a verse. Psalm 24, verse 1. Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, the earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Everything that you have belongs to the Lord. Every person in this room belongs to the Lord. Every person in the world and every thing in the world belongs to the Lord. So you could literally go through your house and go, see this toothpaste? This is God's toothpaste. Something simple. But you could also do big things. See this bank account? You know, you open up your bank account. This money is the Lord's. Everything is the Lord's. And every person is the Lord's. And so we as believers understand that we don't own anything. We manage things that the Lord has entrusted to us. So there's nothing, and, and I'm not trying to get you to not say, well, this is my car, this is my wife, you know, you don't, this is the Lord's wife. That just sounds cultish. Don't do that, all right? You, you know, right? I, I get it, but, but this is a truth that we've got to keep in our mind. It's so important that this really is God's. Everything is God's. So if this is true, that everything and everyone belongs to the Lord, then next truth, um, because of that, God owns everything and everyone. Put this up there. Put this next slide up there. Or is it Romans 12? Oh, there you go. All right. God owns everything and everyone. Therefore, we never give. We only return. Now, again, I get it. We talk about giving offerings or giving, but we don't give anything. It's not ours. We return it to the Lord. Everything is the Lord's. And so when I give offerings, when I give time, when I give energy, when I give attention, anything that I have or anyone, we give it to the Lord. Or excuse me, we don't give it, we return it. It's His. If you borrow someone's car, you don't hand them the keys and go, I'd like to give you this car. That's my car. No, you're just returning it to me, everything that we have. And so this is helpful to think because the last thing I want us to do as believers is if you don't give in one of these areas, areas spiritual sacrifices, think, oh no, how much do I have to give? What do I have to give? Well, God has entrusted us everything, everything that we have. And we, we need to understand that because of the time in history that we live, the place in history that we live, God has given us a lot. 
We are so richly blessed. We are so able to give back generously because God has entrusted to us. And so we really and truly need to have an idea. So let me give you an example. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Just one example. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, so he's given us all these things. So what do we do? Present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is worship. True worship is giving your body back to God. God gave you your body. God gave you your mind. God gave you your mouth. God gave you your feelings. God gave you the ability to work. And you give those things back to the Lord. You're a living sacrifice. You are laying on the altar of God and saying, this God is yours. You've given it to me. Now I give that back to you. This spiritual act of worship. So my wife and I, we're kind of going through this uh, right now. So uh, we, you know, I told you earlier in the year, we just became empty nesters. Sometimes people look at us, you know, especially people with little kids, it's hard for them to imagine the day that they're going to be empty nesters. And they're like, how are you doing? You know, like, how is it? And we're like, it's great. <laughs> if I'd have known it was this good, we'd have given them away a lot <laughs> Uh, honestly, so so we have to give our children to the Lord. I mean, because they're they're not ours. I mean, we don't know where they are. We don't know what they're doing. We give them back. But but now that that's happened, now we have all of this time. I never realized how much time our children took stole from us. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's just unbelievable. So we have the same nightly routine we had when our children were in the house. So, so here's what happens. I get home. Mel gets home. We sit on the couch. And we're like, how was your day? How was your day? You know, just kind of catch up for a few minutes. And then we start dinner. So most of the time, Melinda cooks. If she needs me to do chop something, I might. But a lot of times, I just sit and talk to her while she's cooking. So we're sitting there. And when we had kids, they were running through and doing stuff. Or maybe we might help with homework or whatever. Just talk. And then once supper's done, we all come, we sit at the table, and we eat, and we talk, and we, especially with children, then we try not to get in a hurry uh, to get up from that, you know, talk for a while and everything. And then everyone who's done has to help with the process of cleanup. So we've got to, you know, do the dishes, put the food away, pack meals for the next day, all of, you know, straighten up the house, and all of us do that together. And we're all talking and everything through that. And then about that time when that breaks up, we go in and take our showers and kind of get ready for bed, those type of things. And, and then we'll sit down. Everybody's talked and caught up. And so then we'll sit down and we'll usually uh, watch TV. Uh, that, but when our kids were in the house, it was about nine o'clock. We'd sit down. We'd finally be done with everything. We'd watch a little TV and then we would go to bed. Well, we're doing the same thing now. We're coming in. We're catching up. We're cooking dinner. We're cleaning up. We're talking. We're taking our showers. But when we're ready to sit down for the evening, it's 630. Uh, I mean, you're like, you're like, man, those kids took a lot of time. I mean, everything's done. We're like, I have nothing else to say to you. And yeah, I mean, you know, like, I mean, we got everything done and we got, now we got all this time. And so now I'm really kind of wrestling with how do I fill this time? Cause I don't want to watch TV. And I have on many occasions, uh, you, you know, like from six 30 or seven on, but I don't want to be that way. So I'm trying to think through, okay, God, you've given me this time. You've, you've given me something new here. How do I use it 
for your glory. What do I do? So he's given us time. So we have to give it and say, okay, how do I use this for the glory of God? So everything belongs to the Lord and we return what is his. So here's the next truth. We return some of all and all of some. Some of all and all of some. So leave that up there for a second because I got to unpack this a little bit. Everything, all, every single thing, every single person that you have, God has given to you. And none of it, and no one, will you get to use 100% of it? Nothing is your, you give some of all that you have. Everything that you have, he's going to require a certain amount back. He's going to ask for some of it back. He doesn't give anything to you for you alone ever. So our kids, we, we had them for a season. Now we give them back to the Lord. That Some things have a very prescribed amount that the Lord wants back. So, for example, you're here on Sunday morning. This is the first day of the week. So, so you're worshiping during this time. You, you have a time set aside for worship and, and for to hear the Word of God and be challenged by it and reflect on that and to go out into the world. That's, that's a normal process. And so, if you know, everybody takes vacations. I get that. But if you've gotten in the habit of, of here and there, no, no, he, he gives this time to you. This is the first day of the week. So that he requires of your week's worth of time. He he requires this back. Bring this to him consistently. Don't get in the habit of we come to worship whenever nothing else is happening. No, no, we put worship in first and then we orient everything around those things. Same way with money. God gives us all of our money, 100% of the income that God has given us, 100% of the things, and we give back to him in tithes and offerings. Tithes is the first 10% of what God has given to us. We return to God. We give back to God. It was sort of funny in the first service. Um, like, uh, I don't know if they woke up kind of late, but they were a little bit quieter than they normally are in the first service. And then when I started talking about giving, everybody got quiet. And I was like, it got quiet in here. And so I was kind of like, yeah, it, it, it was just a coincidence. But what, what I want to be careful of is that we don't think, oh, good night, 10%. If you've never given 10% before, it can seem like an overwhelming amount until you look at how much God has given you. And he's asking you to return that in the tithe. He's asking you to bring, he, he, he requires some of all. And there's a specific amount that he wants in a return to him of your money. So everything, you know, we're asking you to, to uh, uh, you know, not house some, some FYC students, but let them take showers at your house. Let, let God use the house that he gave you so that some kids can shower that's giving some of everything that you have. Everything is to the Lord. But some things, we give all of it. So everything that you have, some of it is required to give, be given back to God. But some things that you get, he requires all of it to be given back. Now, these are very, uh, usually very specific to people. But if you think that he won't require anything from you, you're wrong. Everything that you have belongs to him, and he gets the opportunity. He is Lord, and he is sovereign, and he has the right to say, empty your bank account and give it. He has the right, I mean, every single thing. And so everything that we have, before we make decisions, we need to say, okay, God, if 
principle in scripture of how to do this? And if not, do you want me to do something with this? Do you want me to have something with this? And so we have to be very, very careful because some things he says, I want all of that. I want you to give all of that back to me. Remember the, the, uh, uh, we give our bodies as living sacrifices, the Romans 12, 1. There are some people in the world who will be called to give their life back to Jesus Christ as martyrs. There are people in our world today who are suffering and being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ, and some of them to the point of death. And God will say, I gave you that life, and now I ask for all of it back. And they will die for the name of Jesus Christ. You and I can do no less. Everything that we have, our children, God, what do you want them to be and do? God, our time, what, how do you want me to use these things? He has the right and the privilege to ask for anything back in doing that. So, so we give some of all. Uh, we need to think of this way throughout our lives. Like, for instance, some of you have little children. And uh, uh, especially when you pass the offering plate, you've gotten in the habit of reaching in and, and giving a dollar and, and giving them to, to give that way. Don't do that. that that's, that's really not a good way to do it. The reason is, is that it teaches you can be really, really generous with other people's money. Uh, so for, in fact, I could be extraordinarily generous. I could give you a lot of money if one of you would just bring me a signed check. Uh, I'm telling you, I can, I can give like never, I can give to it hurts. It'll just hurt you, uh, you, you know? And so, so, so teach your children how to make money and then teach your children how to proportionately give their money. And so, so that we can give some of all and all of what we have to the Lord. That's the way that we begin to practice this principle. Now, here's what we bring to the Lord. The next truth about this is the habit of spiritual sacrifices is always first or best. First or best. First, in the sense you are now on the first day of the week, so you give God the, the, the first. First, um, for most of us, will be uh, we have a time of commitment to the Lord, a quiet time, a devotional in the morning where we pray and, and give ourselves. So we, we give God the first, which for most of us is the best. I'm a night owl, but I'm not a, a functional night owl at night. You, you know, I'm not good. So, so you want to give the first of, or for me, I want to give the first of what I have to, to the Lord or the best of what I had to the Lord. One of my favorite uh, scriptures about this, because it's so funny, like visually. This is Malachi. This is uh, the last book of the Old Testament when they're still practicing sacrifices. So they're now, they're literally bringing in animals. And so when you bring in an animal for sacrifice, you bring in the best animal you have. I mean, you bring in the, the prize winning uh, sheep or goat. And so he says, he says, you have dishonored me. You have despised my name. And they ask, how have we despised your name? And he says, you've brought and presented defiled food on my altar. And they say, how have we done that? He says, you present a blind animal for sacrifice. Is it not wrong? And you present a lame or a sick animal. Is that not wrong? Bring that to your governor. Would they be pleased with you or show you favor as the Lord of armies? So he's saying, here's my problem with you, Israel. You're bringing me not my best, but the leftovers. I mean, visually think about this. When you come to worship in the Old Testament, it should look like the Houston Livestock I mean, it should look like, I mean, you're like, there's not a bad one in the bunch. I mean, they're all, they've all won, you know, regional shows and see, I mean, these are good, beautiful animals. You're bringing in the very, very best. 
But God says, the problem is, is all I see is that one sheep that a coyote got after, and he's missing an eye. You know, that one sheep that, you know, some wolves got after, and they bit off their a couple of their legs. So they're not even walking in. They're having to drag them in, you know. I mean, you know, got a little chain that says Lucky. That's their name. And so you just, it doesn't work. These are horrible, horrible animals. You're just throwing God something. And he says, we can't do that. The spiritual sacrifice is first, the very, or the very best that I have in every, everything that you give. I give God my best time. I give God my first money. I give God all that I am and all that I have. And then I feel the rest of my life around that, not the other way around. So for those of us who've practiced tithing for a long time, listen, we get it. Like I, I, I'm, I'm telling like there's times where you tithe as you make money and you know the bills that are coming in. You're like, whoa, this is a scary month. It's practicing faith, isn't it? I mean, we've all, if you've tithed for any amount of time, you've done it where you're like, oh my goodness, God doesn't show up. Like, you know, we're, we're not eating ramen noodles. We're fasting for the Lord. Uh, I mean, we, and, and we have to do that. Because if we wait till the end of the month, when we don't have to practice faith, and if there's any money left over, well, more often than not, there's not any left over. And if it is, it's a pittance. It's just nothing. So we give God the first and the best in our spiritual sacrifices. Oftentimes we talk about it as time, treasure, and talent. Time, treasure, and talent. Time, you give God the best or the first time. Treasure, you give him the first as you are, are paid of your, of your salary back to the Lord. Uh, talent, whatever it is that you're good at, uh, you give that back to the Lord. You use that for the glory of God. So he says, this is the way that we practice this. We're, spirit, we're priests and we do spiritual sacrifices. Now let's look at the next habit. In verse 6, he says, I'm a chosen and honored cornerstone. So I call this the habit of orientation. A cornerstone in the ancient world was, was a, a, not just the first stone, but it was, it was usually very ornate. So you would lay it down. It would be highly polished or it would be very nice. It might even be a different type of stone than the rest of the building had. But it was laid first and it was squared off so that you could orient the rest of the building by this stone. So you knew this is where I want it and, and I make sure it's just right so everything goes across this way. Everything goes down this way and everything is oriented around it's the it's the first and the best and then everything is oriented around it so so you and i he says he says jesus is the chosen cornerstone but then he also says that the word they they don't diso in verse eight some people disobey the word is this cornerstone so so the person of god as presented in the scriptures is our corn, cornerstone we orient every way that we think we speak and we act according to the word of god and the person of Jesus Christ. So the great thing about this is he has a promise. There's a promise and a problem in this text with that. Here's the promise. The promise is if Jesus is the cornerstone and the word of God is the cornerstone, then you'll never be put to shame and honor will come to you. It's a promise. If you live according to scriptures, if you live with Jesus as the Lord of your life and everything is decided around the of Jesus is presented in scriptures, then here's what's going to happen. First of all, you're not going to be put to shame. He promises us. 
You will not be put to shame. And secondly, he says, uh, honor will come to you who believe. He will honor us in doing this. It's a promise. And then he says, there's a problem with those who don't. What is the problem? That they reject it, and so it's a stone to stumble over. It's something that will keep them. It's a rock that will trip them up. So when we started River Valley, we started with the idea of we're going to do Christianity uh, according to the Bible, but the only stumbling block is going to be the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to do everything that we can to not make who we are and what we do as a stumbling block. Or uh, so we're going to have uh, you know easy things like we're going to have uh, multiple services to suit your time. We're going to have donuts and coffee to make it easy to come in. We're going to uh, make it where you don't have to dress up to come in. We're going to make it where you have music that really fits how people hear modern music. We're going to have sermons that even if they aren't great, because we're having multiple services, he's got to stop at some time because a new service is starting. So we're going to do whatever we can. Your kids are going to have a blast in their children's ministry. We're going to not be a stumbling block in any of those ways. So even if you don't get saved the first day that you're there, but you're like, those people are friendly. The services are engaging. My kids had a blast. I learned something about the Bible. It was helpful and, and teachable. I really enjoyed that service. So we don't want to make a stumbling block in any way except the Word of God and the person of Jesus. What we cannot do is cave on those. So this is the way it's got to play out in the modern world. <clears throat> the two, the, we see two extremes. The one extreme is I just preach the Word of God, but you're not winsome about it. You're not thoughtful about how you preach the Word of God, and it comes across extremely angry and heavy-handed. And I mean, we just don't see that with Jesus. We see sinners attracted to Jesus. We see Him able to present truth in a way that you're like, you know what, that's right, but it hurts a little bit. And Jesus is a master at that. So we don't want to be angry and mean in presenting the Word of God. But the other extreme is just kind of watering it down so much that we're afraid to offend anyone. Oh, you're fine. You're you're just fine. I'm just so glad you came. You're fine. You're fine. God is fine with you. That's not true. It's not true. There's right and wrong in Scripture. And it's not that God's like, this is the way I want you to be. It's God saying, this is the way the world is oriented. And when you don't follow these, you are heading for disaster. You are not being mean by telling someone, hey, you're heading for a cliff when they're driving for a cliff. You're like, look, I don't want to offend you. I know that you want to do it your way. I'm sorry that this is not my way, but you are heading for a cliff. You're thankful for those type of people. And so we want to be careful to present Scripture clearly, but also in a way that is, is allows the Holy Spirit to work so that you don't immediately turn me off and just, now we're out of here. And so here's, here's a way that we can do this today. The Word is a stumbling block. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's how I'm seeing this, this particular one played out pretty often. It is in uh, transgenderism. You're like, whoa, that took a turn. All right, so here we go. All right, so let's talk about it. So here's what I'm seeing in our world today. I am seeing people, even people teaching children, that you decide how you feel you are and that you can make decisions based on those things. Psalm 119 says, God knew us before the foundation of the world. God knew you before time even began. God formed you in your mother's womb. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
He has a plan for your life. And he made you the way that you are to fulfill that plan. And part of it is that as you came out of your mother's womb, as you were born into the world, you were a reflection of the glory of God. We are, the, we are the, the countenance of God. When you look in the mirror and you see the way that God created you, you know that he made you unique and special simply so that other people could see a little bit of the glory of God in your gender, in your height, in your weight, in your ethnicity, in your skin color, everything about you says there is a wonderful God who loves you so much he made you in his own perfect image. And we come into the world and we embrace that and then we begin to find out this is the way that I am wired and this is why so that I can bring about the glory of God. When we take that away from God, when we get to decide who I am and what I do, we say to God, you didn't make me right. You didn't do it correctly. And it's opposed to the word of God. And most of us, the problem today is there's, I'm sure there's a few who might be struggling with that, but most of us, it's the people around us who we know are. Many of us have family members or, or friends or, or co-workers who are struggling in this area. And we have to be so careful in presenting the Word of God and standing on the Word of God, but also never afraid to say, you know what? God made you for a wonderful, wonderful purpose. And the way that you are is left alone to the sovereignty of God. You do not get to choose your gender. God does. It is His specific and sovereign purview in your life. And the reason he did it is so that people could see part of the glory and wonder and beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ through your making. Don't, don't let someone take that away from you. Don't let someone tell you that you are something that was not specifically made by God. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. You really do reflect the image of God. In all his beauty, all of us together, don't let people take that away from you. So how do we decide the habit of orientation? A lot of times it's that we need to quit praying. You don't need to pray and ask God many things that I find people doing in our day. Well, I just need to pray and see if this is God's will. His word says very clearly what the majority of his will is for our life. We don't need to pray if I should, you know, transition in my gender. We don't because his word is very clear on how he made you. So we need to understand the word of God and then pray for strength to follow his will in that way. You don't have to pray for the majority of the will of God in your life. It is clearly spelled out in scripture. It is clearly shown to us in scripture. He has made you the way you are. Praise God for that and then ask him to help you to live for that in your life. Pray for, uh, not for his will, but pray for his, his sovereignty over your life. Now, here's the ending today. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. So here's what he says. Most time we do habits in order to achieve a goal. So we eat well and we exercise so that we can lose weight and be fit. 
But this is not what this text says. This text says, this is who you are. Therefore, this is the way that you act. Not, you should practice the habit of orientation of the practice of uh, spiritual sacrifices so that you can be these ways. It's not what it says at all. It says you are these things right now. Therefore, you act this way. You know, uh, Princess uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth just recently passed away, so uh, King Charles is now in power. I mean, he was fairly old in his own right. He has been raised his whole life to be king. He's known his whole life, or most of his life, that he's going to be king. My guess is if I ever get to meet King Charles and I stick out my hand, he's not going to go, what up, home slice? I bet you anything he doesn't say that. I bet you he doesn't. I bet you he speaks very kingly. I don't know how that is, but I bet you he does. And I bet you he looks kingly. And I bet you he lives in a palace like kings do. I could do all of those things and I still wouldn't be king. See, he didn't do those things so that he could become king. He was king so that he does those things. Same way with you. You're a chosen people. I love that verse. I love that thinking. You see, God chose you. The picture is adoption. It's one of the best pictures in all of the Bible of salvation. Because when you uh, have natural children, uh, sometimes you weren't even planning on having children. And sometimes you were hoping for a boy and maybe they were a girl or whatever it was. But when you choose, when you adopt, you choose a child. You choose someone. You make a choice. Jesus made a choice. He said, I chose you. I chose you. I adopted you. I didn't get you. I chose you. And then he says, you're a royal priesthood. We make spiritual sacrifices. We're the intermediaries of God. You're a holy nation. You, you live apart and separately according to the will of God. You're a people for his possession. When God comes back to the world, he's going to bring us back. He's going to say, I chose you. I chose you. Now come home. Come home. Come home for me. So this one I want us to do in closing today. I want you to stand to your feet. You guys in the band can go ahead and come on back out. And we're going to declare these scriptures over our lives today. So we're going to declare it in two ways. First of all, we're going to say, I am, I am, I am. And then we're going to say, we are, we are. Because both of those are true in this text. So I'm going to say something, and then you are going to point at you, and you are going to repeat it back to me. This is who you are right now in Christ Jesus. This is not who you can be, who you ought to be, who you will be, or who you should be. This is who you are. All right? So first, I am a chosen person. I am a chosen person. I am a royal priest. I am a royal priest. I am a holy person. I am a holy person. I am a person who belongs to Jesus. I am a person who belongs to Jesus. Now, us. We are a chosen race. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. We are a people for his possession. We are a people for his possession. 
so that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We are chosen. We are holy. We are a people. We are royal. Why? So that we can praise God, so that we can tell him how magnificent and wonderful he is, how thankful we are that he made us the way that we are, how good he is to give us a future and hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that we didn't earn these things, that you gave us these things freely and abundantly. Thank you, Jesus. We praise God today because of that. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to praise God. Now, I'm going to stop you right there because some of you have gotten in a bad habit. Some of you right now, this is the time that you check out in the sermon and you literally leave. Two reasons not to do that. First of all, the reason that we worship the end is because it's exactly this. God did this so that we may praise Him. We reflect back what we have heard in the Word of God and we praise Him. Secondly, most of you, it's to go get your kids. And I just want to be very honest with you. You're interrupting. You're interrupting what they're doing over there. They're winding up their service. They're telling their children about Jesus, just like I do every Sunday. Can you imagine if I'm telling you about how to accept the gospel? Jesus Christ, somebody comes down right to the front of your own and goes, come on, Bill, let's go, time to go. Come on, Janet, get out of here. All right, don't do that. Get out of that habit. We got one song left to go, and it's not a fill finish over there. It's a response. Why? Because we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. Amen? All right. So worship, 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 worship in response to how good God is. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.